Matters from EY. Hello and welcome to the podcast from EY's UK Centre for Board Matters for Non-Executive Directors. I'm Justine Green and our focus this time is stewardship. Investors' expectations are changing fast and businesses must make important decisions to survive. To discuss the action needed now, we have a distinguished panel all joining the conversation remotely. First, Catherine Howarth, CEO of Share Action, who promote responsible investment. Hello, Catherine. Hello, good to be here. And Will Hutton, political economist, former principal of Hartford College, Oxford, and co-chair of The Purposeful Company. Hello, Will. Hello there. Now, Catherine, set the scene for us. We're living in a time when investors' priorities are changing. We certainly are. I mean, they're changing both because... Um, of the pandemic, which has kind of um, created a need for realignment and reassessment right across the global economy and certainly in capital markets. But that builds on some 10 years since the, the last great financial crisis of growing expectation, not only by investors of companies in terms of long term um, focus on 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 risks, including environmental, social and governance related risks, but expectations of investors to be active owners, to be responsible holders of corporate bonds and shares, uh, indeed of other asset classes such as infrastructure and property. And um, in the UK, we've obviously just seen earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, the launch of the new stewardship code the UK was the first country in the world to launch a stewardship code 10 years ago. And 10 years on, the new code significantly ramps up the requirements on investors that sign up to the code. There's a much stronger focus this time round on environmental and social stewardship and, and oversight of companies' performance alongside uh, governance, which was always strongly in focus in the first code. Well, what's been the UK's record to date when it comes to stewardship and responsible investment? Well, I mean, I think the, um, there's been some fantastic protocols and the kind of C-suite, many C-suites, but not all of them, talk this language. But actually, until quite recently, the kind of behaviours that you'd want to see associated with all this talk weren't really happening. I mean, when, when pushes come to shove, um, in the end, you know, old maxims about shareholder value maximisation above, above any other kind of stakeholder interest... Um, and actually, although it's nice to do things that are sustainable or, or towards the community uh, and kind of genuflect towards a multi-stakeholder approach, it's been more conspicuous in the talk than the action. But uh, this last year or two or three, there's undoubtedly a change. Unilever, for example, report that their brands committed to sustainability kind of uh, outsell their brands that don't do that by 70%. And so, you know, people are picking up that the marketplace and the workplace are kind of reinforcing what the corporate governance and stewardship codes are requiring. And there's beginning to be, I think, a a, a real change um, in the way British business, certainly, and some European business operates. Catherine, you're a member of HM Treasury's Asset Management Task Force. What's government expecting in terms of stewardship? Well, the government uh, obviously uh, oversees the Financial Reporting Council, which has issued the new code. My observation is that multiple government departments have suddenly realised that this stewardship business is actually very positive and they they need to get behind it. So the Department for Work and Pensions um, is is really 
acting very strongly within 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 the government um, to press this agenda and um, is requiring much stronger policies from pension schemes in this space. And then that filters down in terms of the pension schemes requiring stronger stewardship policies of their asset managers. But Treasury is also um, deeply behind this now, um, and they oversee the Financial uh, Conduct Authority, which is which is the financial regulator with real teeth, um, overseeing the asset management industry and and the insurance industry and other large institutional investors. So my sense is that the, the government recognise just how important it is um, that institutional investors are taking a close interest in what companies get up to that good stewardship can help to prevent, um, although will never completely eliminate the risk of kind of embarrassing corporate catastrophes uh, where, you know, large companies go bust and huge numbers of people are, are cast adrift in the economy and unemployed. And, and, you know, the government clearly very keen to avoid that, but also sees the, the kind of the longer term upside. And Will, when it comes to decision making at board level, how much do you think the UK Stewardship Code 2020 will raise standards? I think that that very much depends on how the asset management and asset owner community kind of and how seriously they take it. Um, and signing the code is voluntary, not mandatory. You have to hold yourself to account. It's self-regulatory in framework. And so you'll be reporting at the end of uh, in March 2021 to the, the replacement body of the FRC um, what you've done all hangs in the balance I have to say there are a number of asset management groups that take this very seriously uh, but I think if Charles Randall of the FCA were on the line I mean he would say or he would back up everything that Catherine has said but he'd say look you know um, there's a big gap still there's a lot to be done um, and there's a lot, a lot of people who frankly you know, talk the talk but don't actually do it but to re-emphasise, boards are moving in the right direction. There are a lot depends on the ch- chair-CEO relationship and their, and their willingness to buy into this agenda. Once they do, you get a long way. OK, well, thank you both for the moment. Stay with us and we'll meet our remaining guests next. So joining us now are Jessica Fries, Exec Chair of Accounting for Sustainability, who work with the finance community on creating a more sustainable economy. Hello, Jessica. Hi. And Laurie Gawley, EY's UK Regulatory and Public Policy Director. Hello, Laurie. Hello. Jessica, looking outside the UK, what response to stewardship are you seeing in other parts of the world? What we see from the work that we do with investors and companies globally are some very similar trends. So the first one is that sense of values driving value. And you've seen that really happening globally. And and I'd have said a lot of other parts of the world are potentially behind Europe in terms of really shifting the focus. And the, the pandemic has, if anything, reinforced that focus from the work that we've done. So that that focus on purpose driven decision making trying to find a way that stakeholders and a stakeholder mindset is influencing and driving both strategy and decisions and the investor community increasingly putting companies in the spotlight in terms of how they are managing and managing to balance that full set of stakeholder interests in the decisions that they take. Two other areas worth thinking about. One is 
absolutely around net zero emissions. You are seeing globally more and more governments committing to net zero emissions by 2050 in the build up to the COP26 climate agreement next year in 2021. You'll see more and more corporate and investor action. If I think of the asset owners we work with, more and more pension funds and indeed banks and others are thinking about what it means to commit to net zero emissions. The third area that companies really need to be thinking about and boards should be thinking about is reporting. Again, you've seen globally more and more focus on the kind of information that companies need to report to their investors and huge global traction around a shift towards mandatory So you've got the task force on climate related financial disclosures that is going to be mandatory in most jurisdictions around the world in the pretty near future, inclusive of the UK. And Laurie, would you say that the role of a non-executive director has become even more important now? Absolutely. I think even more important, but also even more challenging, because as Jessica just just spoken about, these new disclosure requirements are much more strategic in nature. So the stewardship code that came into effect has really encouraged asset managers and asset owners to move away from activity-based requirements, whether that be reporting disclosures of their investee companies or whether that be engagement. So I think from a non-executive director perspective, they need to be able to challenge their respective boards on what the outcomes are. And one example that we've seen recently comes from Legal in General. And so they published an expectation. They wrote to all of their FTSE 100 company boards around an expectation relating to governance. So the G of ESG. And that is an expectation and outcome that relates to appointing and hiring one non-white director by the 1st of January 2022. So this is the outcome that investors are seeking for or seeking to see their boards achieve. And I think from an NED perspective, they really need to be on top of these outcomes and the strategy that a board's trying to achieve. So, Jessica, how important is it right now for companies to focus on ESG, environmental, social and governments, particularly environmental? It's fundamental. So in spite of some of the the challenges that we're currently facing through the pandemic, or maybe even in part because of it, the focus on ESG has not gone away. If anything, um, for the investors we work with and I think across the whole investment chain, there has been increased focus. The S of ESG, we've really seen um, upping on the agenda across all different sectors. And I think Laurie has touched on a great example there. You've seen Black Lives Matter and a fundamental shift in expectations on what companies are doing on the diversity and inclusion side of things recent focus from investors responding to a a real societal shift means that you really can't afford to sit back and tackle one thing at a time. You really need to be getting to grips with the breadth of the different impacts and issues. And of course, there is that connection to performance. So you've seen more and more investors releasing 
analysis that does underline that they see continued outperformance from funds that have stronger ESG characteristics and companies that have stronger ESG characteristics. Laurie, what are you hearing in terms of how stewardship is now challenging boards? Well, I think from a challenge perspective, it's about boards understanding not only these outcomes relating to the disclosures, but also how they're going to engage with their investors. So the dialogue. So those corporate boards that are able to articulate their 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 purpose, as Will says, their strategy, their long-term value creation activities, I think will be vitally important. And I guess the second challenge from from my perspective would be the here and the now. On this podcast, we're talking about ESG issues and opportunities, but a challenge for boards will be the next and the beyond. So, you know, ESG are the first three issues and opportunities and key priorities that are being accelerated, again, as Will said, by the um, external market, by regulation, etc. But it's about also boards understanding what the next area of priority is. We know from investors' uh, disclosures of late and expectations that those relate to corporate strategy capital allocation, as well as human capital. So I think that in summary, the challenge for any board at this moment in time is to satisfy the here and the now, the ESG here and now, but also be prepared for the next and the beyond and the emerging priorities of the investors. Well, thanks to both of you and do stay with us as we round off by looking at what needs to happen next. Board Matters. Catherine Howarth and Will Hutton are still with us, along with Jessica Fries and Laurie Gawley. So looking ahead, what should boards be doing now to prepare for the new post-COVID investor? Let's get your thoughts. And Catherine, start with you. Well, I would encourage all boards to take a very good look at the 2020 Stewardship Code, because if you want to anticipate what your big investors are going to be um, looking to you for, that, that is a really helpful uh, piece of guidance. And you will see in the, in the new stewardship code that uh, you can fully expect more questions from investors on your company's social and environmental performance, but also on innovation and other areas where investors are increasingly or need to focus um, in order to understand companies' you know, resilience and potential for long-term success. And Will, your thoughts on this? I think there's going to be one litmus test, I think, post-COVID. Uh, well, a couple, there's a couple of lit, litmus tests post-COVID. I mean, when we get back to some semblance of normality, which probably won't be until the second half of next year, the second half of um, 2021, and maybe even that's kind of optimistic, uh, I think that people are going to take... Um, really hard looks at companies. I mean, they're going, to want to, you know, they're going to want to know that they are kind of walking the talk. I think um, there's going to be very, very clear in some product markets. It's going to be very, very clear when you take hiring decisions. And I think people are going to look at pay quite closely. I mean, um, now we at the um, uh, personal company have been kind of advocating moving away from um, kind of bonus, annual bonuses and, and uh, long-term incentive plans to actually paying over a five- or seven-year period in deferred stock. 
um, closely related to you know metrics, the kind of metrics that are being going to be introduced, which are really around kind of long-term value generation and respecting the agenda of this podcast. And finally, what are the priorities right now for boards to minimise risk when it comes to responsible stewardship? Laurie? To minimise risk, I think I go back to my point made earlier that boards need to be agile to respond to the current issues of today, the ESG that we've discussed, but equally to respond to the emerging risks of tomorrow, particularly as um, companies respond and adapt to the radically changing economic, regulatory and stakeholder environment. Um, I think the other risk that I would pose to boards is that investors really have three levers, three levers to pull to drive change. And boards need to be prepared for this, board members, NEDs alike. Um, Increasingly, the investors will name and fame good practices, so they will publicly disclose good practices. Equally, they will name and shame poor practices or those that are demonstrating insufficient disclosures or outcomes. So that's the first lever. The second lever, the investors will actively exercise their votes. They will vote against re-election of board members, again, if they're insufficient or inadequate in driving the outcomes desired. And thirdly and lastly, um, investors will move capital. We've seen that in the UK already when um, companies are not adequately responding to modern slavery and or supply chain issues. So I think that boards need to prepare not only for today's risks, but also the risks of tomorrow and beyond. And Jessica, your view on the priorities for reducing risk? I'd agree with the points that Laurie just raised there and maybe just underline one that even in the passive space, we're seeing more and more of the asset owners really putting pressure on asset managers, inclusive of passive and indeed debt finance, to really think about what active stewardship in those areas might mean. Um, Albeit where there's a very different relationship between the the fund manager and the company. So using things like those votes on the on the reappointment of the chair as a lever in that kind of space. So almost making it personal as a way to exercise um, and have influence on the company and whether or not they're taking decisions towards this purposeful, um, sustainable direction. The, the other thing that I would like to underline is it's not just about the risk. So if you're failing to think through what the opportunities are, that in and of itself is a risk. So do think about the upside of these trends. Things like access to finance. Um, we see more and more companies really looking at how they can issue sustainable um, fixed income, so bonds or um, indeed looking at debt and ways to embed sustainability into some of their capital raising decisions. And there's a real opportunity there, as well as building an investor base that is maybe broader than the current one, where you really are thinking about how you can demonstrate that sustainable value story and having deeper, longer term relationships with investors as a result. 
Okay, well, thank you very much to all of you for taking part in our podcast and for sharing with us your insight on this important topic. And if you found our discussion useful and you'd like to find out more, please email neds at uk.ey.com. That's neds at uk.ey.com. Do join us again soon for another episode. And in the meantime, from me, Justine Green, and all our guests, thanks for listening and goodbye. Board Matters. Back soon.